Come on, let's give the Lord some praise tonight. Anybody come to magnify the Lord? Anybody got a praise in your heart? Come on, let's just take about 15 seconds and give him praise. All from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Now, I don't want to start out on the bad, a bad foot, but it takes about six people to carry a dead person. And I said that because if you've, if you've come to be dead, I hope you brought six people to take your place. Hey, we're in an apostolic church tonight. We get noisy from time to time. Anybody come to give the Lord praise on a Tuesday night? Amen. And there is a great atmosphere of praise in the room. And um, I hope you've come to praise him because if you have, you're going to make my job a whole lot easier. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I will go to Genesis 49. Genesis chapter number 49. And then I'll jump over to 1 Peter chapter 5. And um, as you're finding that, I would like to once again give honor to your pastor and your pastor's wife, Brother and Sister Biddle. How many love and appreciate your leadership here? Amen. And um, so grateful that our paths crossed, I guess, about four years ago. I think it was at a Good Friday service over by the Cannons. And I met, I met, was that right? I met your pastor, Brother Biddle, and um, was able to come here, I think, in 2019 for the first time. And uh, he's just been nice enough to let me come back every now and again. And uh, I give him honor tonight and his wife and uh, the great work that they're doing in this community, the great work that God is doing in this congregation. And uh, I'm, I'm praying and believing with you that God's going to open that door for you. And I pray, and, and I pray within two or three years, you've got the same problem that you got right now. Anybody believe God can do it? Anybody believe God wants to do it? Amen. I give him honor, and uh, it's good to see Brother Hampshire back there. I give him honor tonight. And uh, all the ministry that's here, all the saints, any visitors, if you're a visitor tonight, just get right in here with us, and let's just have church together. Amen. We just believe that our God's worthy of our praise. Amen. And I'm going to do my best to get in this and, and uh, just see what God wants to do uh, because I'm kind of hungry. And, uh, hey, I've been here enough on Tuesday night. I know what Tuesday night means. I know what Tuesday night means, and it's waiting on us right down the road. But um, Genesis chapter number 49, and verse number 8. <laughs> Genesis 49 and verse number 8. Hey, if you can't have fun in church. Genesis 49 and verse number 8. The Bible says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. 
He stooped down. He couched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? Judah is a lion's whelp. 1 Peter chapter number 5 and verse number 8. I'm sure everybody in the room could probably quote the verse. When Peter tells us in his epistle to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil. How many know you have an adversary tonight? Now, your adversary is not the person to your left and right. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Peter says we have an adversary, but then he tells us who our adversary is. Because he said, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Judah is a lion's whelp. And then the Bible tells us our adversary, the devil, comes as a roaring lion. I want to preach to you tonight from this subject, let the lion eat. Let the lion eat. Why don't you look at your neighbor and tell him, why don't you let the lion eat tonight? And you may be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing this evening. Amen. When you and I begin to say or even hear somebody speak of a lion from a spiritual aspect, Uh, There is no doubt in my mind that almost every time without fail, our minds immediately go to Peter's epistle, and it's there where Peter tells us that our adversary will come to us as a roaring lion. He tells us to be sober and be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Ladies and gentlemen, we might as well settle it in this room this evening when it comes to the devil. We all have a personal adversary when it comes to the devil. The devil is against you. The devil opposes you. The devil is going to do everything in his power to destroy and to devour you. That's why the Bible says that he walketh about. That E-T-H on the end of walk literally means that he is continually walking. He is perpetually stalking. There's not a day that you live when the devil is not walking around looking for somebody that he can devour and destroy. This verse in 1 Peter 5 and 8, when you begin to look at it very closely, is in fact a cross-reference to the book of Job chapter 2. And it's in Job chapter 2 where it brings even more understanding to us about the nature of our adversary. Job chapter 2 opens by telling us that there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself. And then in the second verse, it tells us that God enters a dialogue with the devil. Because God asked the devil, from whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth. He's literally telling God that I've been walking, I have been stalking. I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. And this verse in Job chapter 2 is, in my estimation, the perfect depiction of the devil acting as a lion. Because he tells God that I have been walking throughout the earth looking for somebody that I can devise. 
hour and what the devil was doing and all the way back in the book of Job. And what Peter warns us about in his epistle is what the devil continues to do today. Because the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, every one of us in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, to the longest tenured saint and to the freshest young convert, everybody in this room is a target for this lion-like enemy. Can I tell you, from the moment you were born, this lion, this devil began observing and stalking you. He has studied your behaviors and he has studied your habits. So when he begins to tempt you later in life, he has data on you from every moment you have lived. He knows as how much to torment you. He knows how much he can attack you. Can I tell you, he knows as much about us as possible based on our words, our actions, and the places that we have gone. He knows your weaknesses and he knows your strengths. He knows what and at what times you are the most vulnerable. Can I tell you, he's called a serpent for a reason. He's called that because he knows what will keep us from attending church. He knows what he can throw in our direction that will keep us from praying. I understand that we call the devil dumb, but you would better understand he knows what he can throw against us that will keep us from fasting and coming to church and reading the word of God. And you better understand that he's going to use every bit of data he has access to and the power that is within him to destroy and to devour the people in this room. And so the question we must ask tonight is, what hope do we have against this lion-like enemy? What hope do we have against an adversary that's coming against us as a roaring lion? And the answer I've come to tell you is very simple. In fact, there may be people in this room right now, you're trying to survive. You're trying your best to be victorious. You're trying to make it through the battle. And you may be wondering, how am I going to be victorious against the lion coming against me? Well, I've come tonight to tell you a very simple answer. And that is, you may have a lion fighting against you, but don't you ever forget, you've got a lion fighting for you. Can I tell everybody in this room, you may have an adversary that when it comes to the devil, but don't you ever misunderstand. And don't you ever forget this very important principle. The devil may be coming against you, but there's a lion inside of you. See, we know the lion fighting against us is the devil. But who is the lion fighting for us? We know that the lion who opposes us is the devil. But who is the lion that protects us? What is this lion's name? The answer, ladies and gentlemen, is found in Genesis 49, our text, because it is in that chapter we see Jacob reaching the end of his life. And the 49th chapter of Genesis shows us that Jacob is called his sons by his his bedside. And Jacob, that old patriarch, is laying hands on all of his sons. And when he lays his hands on his boys, he has given them their prophetic destiny. And so when Jacob gets to Judah, Jacob looks at his son and says, Judah, you are a lion's whelp. And then we see how Judah goes from a lion's whelp, which is a small lion, to then being a lion, and then to an old lion. So ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you, that the devil coming against you is that lion who opposes you. But the lion that protects you is the lion called Judah. See, 
When we begin to talk about a lion in the Bible, uh, we always focus on that one lion, the devil. Uh, but can I submit to you uh, that there's more than just one lion in that Bible? Uh, there's two lions in that Bible. Uh, but I haven't come to preach about the lion, the devil that opposes us. Uh, I've come to preach about the lion who protects us uh, and that lion who's fighting for us uh, and that lion that protects us uh, is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Now, I don't need to spend much time here because I'm pretty confident in saying that I'm sure everybody in this room knows what Judah means. In fact, I'm sure everybody in this room could give me the definition because that's how familiar we are with the term Judah, especially in an apostolic church. We know the word Judah means to praise. It means to worship or to revere. But it's not just translated to mean praise in your Bible. In places, it means thanks, thankful or thanksgiving. But we're not going to focus on those definitions tonight. We're going to look at that one definition that we are all familiar with, and that is the definition which means to praise. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 3, your Bible says, and when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and Judah, or praised the Lord, saying, for he is good his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 42 and 5 asks the question, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet Judah or praise the Lord for the help of his countenance. Psalm 107, 8, 15, 21, and 31 says, Oh, that men would Judah or praise the Lord for his goodness and for the wonderful works to the children children of men. Ladies and gentlemen, do you notice the reoccurring theme about praise in the verses I just read? Praise. The reoccurring theme about praise is the perpetual goodness and mercy of God. Can I submit to this congregation that praise, real praise, isn't based on how we feel? Real praise, biblical praise, isn't based upon my circumstance. It's not based upon my day, my week, or even how my year is gone. But can I tell you praise, real praise, is based on one thing and one thing alone. And that is God is good and his mercy endures forever. And because God's good and because God's merciful, there's not a day that I live when he's not worthy of my praise. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house can I tell somebody in this room because you serve a good God because you serve a merciful God I can come to church on a Tuesday night and I can lift my hands and I can lift my voice even though I'm in a trial even though I'm in a bad season I can still give God praise because real praise is based on his goodness Real praise is based on his mercy. You see, if you are basing your praise on circumstance, if you are basing your praise on how good or bad your day's been, there would be times when God wasn't worthy of your praise. 
if I base my praise on how good my day is gone or how bad my day's gone. But can I tell you, because praise is based upon the perpetual goodness and mercy of God, there's not a moment or a day in my life when God is not worthy of my praise. You need a reason to give God praise. You can give God praise because you serve a good God and you serve a merciful God. I don't need to praise God. I don't need to have a raise at my job to give God praise. I don't need to have a lot of money in my bank account to give God praise. I don't even need a good diagnosis from the doctor to give God praise. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You serve a good God. You serve a merciful God. Is there anybody in the house who was on their way to hell, but God was good to you? Is there anybody in the house who was lost in sin, but mercy found you? You ought to give God praise because that's what praise really means. Oh. Oh, Brother Bill, because I serve a good God and because I serve a merciful God, I can give God praise in the valley just like I can on the mountain because he's good and his mercy endures. I can give God praise in the battle before I ever get out of the battle. I serve a good God. And I serve a merciful God. And that's the only reason I need to come in this house and give him praise. No wonder the psalmist tells us in Psalm 34 that I will bless the Lord. Somebody said it. At all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know what David got a revelation of? David got a revelation that I will not let bad days turn my continual praise into circumstantial praise. I'm telling somebody in this room, David understood that just because I'm in a bad circumstance doesn't mean I'm going to shut my praise down. My praise is not circumstantial. My praise is continual. I will bless the Lord at all times. You see, we love to quote that verse. We love to shout over that verse. But did you know that there was a tremendous circumstance under which David wrote that phrase, I will bless the Lord at all times. David was not on top of the world when he penned that psalm. David was in a bad situation, ladies and gentlemen. David, who, by the way, is from the tribe of Judah, the Bible tells us he wrote that psalm, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. When the Bible says he changed his behavior before Abimelech, in fact, if you've got a King James Version of your Bible, you can look above Psalm 34, and it will tell you that very thing. The reason why David wrote this is because he changed his behavior before Abimelech. The situation is found in 1 Samuel 21. To know why David wrote Psalm 34, you've got to go to 1 Samuel 21 because the chapter opens by showing us David running from Saul. We understand Saul's trying to kill him. He's throwing javelins at him. He's doing everything he can to destroy 
this man David. And so 1 Samuel 21 opens by David fleeing. And he runs to the city of Nob. And it's there where David comes in contact with the priest Ahimelech. And the Bible says in verse number 8, when David walks into the tabernacle, he looks at the priest Ahimelech and he says, I have no sword with me. I forgot to arm myself. And so the priest begins to look around the tabernacle and something catches the priest's eye. Behold, the sword of Goliath the Philistine whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah. And ladies and gentlemen, when David realized that the sword of Goliath was in the tabernacle, the same sword David used to cut off Goliath's head, David looks back at that priest and says, give it to me because there's none like it. And But then the Bible says something very interesting. After David gets the sword of Goliath, he arose and fled for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now get the scenario, ladies and gentlemen. David, just four chapters earlier, killed Goliath in the valley of Elah. Cuts Goliath's head off with his own sword. Goliath is a Philistine. Goliath was from the city of Gath. And now just four chapters later, David has that sword of Goliath on his side. And David is walking right into Philistine territory. He's not just walking into Philistine territory. He's going to Gath, where Goliath grew up in. All I can say is brave move, David. He walks into Gath with Goliath's sword on his side. And verse 11 tells us that after David arrives in Gath, watch this, the servants of Achish said unto themselves, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands? I want to pause right here and ask a question. How did the servants of Achish know this was David? How did they, they ask it in the form of a question? Is not this David? I think the king or the men of the king realized that if anybody is crazy enough to walk into Gath, after they've killed Goliath from Gath, if anybody is crazy enough to walk into Philistine territory after he's killed the champion of the Philistines, if anybody is crazy enough to have the sword of Goliath on his side, it's got to be the same man that cut Goliath's head off. Ladies and gentlemen, they understood. This cannot be anybody else but David. Oh, but when David realizes... They know who he is. And when David hears his name being thrown around, your Bible says David becomes afraid of Achish. Ladies and gentlemen, look at the scenario. David realizes he's in a bad situation. And David understands if something does not change and change quickly, I'm about to be a dead man. And so the Bible says David of Judah changed his behavior before the people. You know what David done? David got a revelation that if you're in a situation that's bad at some point you've got to stop acting the way you've always acted but at some point you've got to change your behavior because ladies and gentlemen if the situation's going to change your behavior's got to change the Bible says David 
feigned himself mad. He scrabbles on the door of the gate and lets spit run down his beard. Ladies and gentlemen, David went to extreme measures. He's acting crazy. He's acting out of character. And this is where it gets fun because the word mad, when it says David feigned himself mad, is the word halal. And halal is one of the seven Hebrew words for praise. And the definition of that word means to act clamorously foolish, to act outside of your normal self. And go back to Psalm 34. When David's looking back at that moment, this is why David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her halal. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. You know what David was doing? He was saying, if you're in a situation that's bad, you've got to make the decision to let the level of your praise match the level of that situation. And I'm telling somebody that desperation of your praise has to sometimes match the desperation of your problem. Oh, can I preach to people right now? If you're in a crazy situation, if you're going through a trial, you ought to change your behavior. You ought to give God a praise that's just as crazy as the problem. I wish somebody would throw your hands in the air. I wish somebody would give God praise. Because if the trouble hasn't changed, my behavior's got to change. Sometimes the situation demands us to change our behavior. Sometimes praise has to elevate to the next level. If you had to praise God, I want you to hear me. If you had to praise God in this service to the level of your situation to get out of it, what kind of praise would you give him in this house? If you knew the level of my praise will be, will be the determining factor of the level of my victory, how much praise would you give God in this house? I'm preaching to people in this room. Every now and again, I've got to get my hands up in the air, and I've got to open my mouth, because if the situation hasn't changed, maybe my behavior needs to change. And I know it's the last night, but I want to come back. God never created anything with his mouth closed. So who am I to think that I'm going to get something from God with my mouth closed? Oh, help me, Lord. Is it, is it possible for, for evangelists to meddle? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, I don't get emotional. Oh, yes, you do. You're just selective of where your emotions are put. I got any hunters in the house? Any fishers and fishermen in the house? Any sports fans in the house? Well, that's about a third of you, honest. You shoot a buck, you catch a bass, your team wins. No, no, no. Somebody calls you tomorrow at 6 in the morning, wakes you up, says, you've just inherited a million dollars. Everybody within a five-mile radius is going to know something's going on at that house. 
Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's not that we're not emotional. Uh, we just put our emotions in things that we love. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, I've come to the understanding uh, when I'm going through a trial uh, and my family's back's against the wall uh, and I've done all I can do and nothing has changed, uh, I come to the house of God with the understanding uh, if nothing's changed, uh, maybe my praise needs to change. I'm trying to help somebody right now and tell you uh, what would happen in this house uh, if somebody would make up your mind. Uh, I'm about to change my praise. Uh, I'm about to act outside of myself uh, because sometimes uh, my behavior has to change before the circumstance ever changes. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lion inside of you, and he's from the tribe of Judah. Never now and again, that line just has to come out. Now, we know the line against us is the devil. The lion for us is Judah. You ever stop to wonder how Judah got his name? I mean, every name in the book has a spiritual significance. Every place has a spiritual significance. How was Judah born and how did Judah get his name? The answer is found in Genesis chapter 29. For the sake of time, I don't have time to go through it. But Genesis 29 introduces us to three people. Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. And there's a love triangle that's going on in that, in that chapter. Because Jacob loves Rachel. And Leah loves Jacob. See, these two sisters are in love with the same guy. But Jacob only loves one. The Bible says Rachel was beautiful to look upon. But it wasn't so kind when it began to talk about Leah. Now, I'm not going to use the U word. I, I want to come back. I'll let you fill in the blanks. Rachel's beautiful. And the Bible says Leah was tender-eyed. Now, the best translation I can find of that is, see, the Jews always tried to find something good in everybody. And so this is what they've done with Leah. Because when the Bible says she was tender-eyed, they're literally saying she's not much to look at. <laughs> but she's got nice eyes. <laughs> so Jacob loves the pretty one, and the one with pretty eyes loves Jacob. We got it? And so Jacob is so in love with Rachel that Jacob goes to Laban and says, I'll work for you seven years if you'll give me Rachel. We know what happens. They strike up the deal. Jacob works seven years. Time is they get married, honeymoon night, roll over the next morning. We got a problem. Because I wanted the pretty one. But there's those eyes looking back at me. And so Jacob goes to Laban. Son, I'm messing this all up. <laughs> Jacob goes to Laban and says, hey, I worked seven years for Rachel. Laban drops the bomb on Jacob and says, I forgot to tell you, we have a custom. But you've got to marry the oldest one first before you get the one you want. So if I'm Jacob, I'm ticked off. Because I would have said, you could have told me that seven years earlier. <laughs> but Jacob loves Rachel so much that he works seven more years. And so after 14 years, Jacob is married to Rachel and Leah. And the Bible says that Rachel, even though she was beautiful, her womb was barren. 
But the hated one, Leah, the Bible says she was fruitful and she was able to produce children. Now watch this. It's going to make sense in a minute. The Bible says Leah, the one that nobody loved, the one that everybody despised, God opens her womb and gives birth to a son named Reuben. She says, I'm going to name him Reuben because I am afflicted. She gives birth to a second son, names him Simeon, and says, I'm naming him Simeon because I feel hated. She then has a third son, names him Levi, and says, I'm naming him that because I want my husband to be joined unto me. Do you notice the down progression in the life of Leah at first she wants Jacob to love her now she just wants Jacob to stay with her something happens she gives birth to a fourth son the Bible says she names that fourth son Judah and says, now will I praise the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, why the shift? The first three sons were named what they were named because that's what Leah was going through. Reuben, I'm afflicted. I'm naming him Simeon because nobody loves me. I'm naming him Levi because nobody's joined unto me. But in the midst of her affliction, Leah realized that in spite of all of this, they cannot stop me from being fruitful. And so Leah said, I'm not going to focus on what I don't have the love of Jacob. I'm going to focus on what I do have, fruitfulness in spite of my affliction. And can I tell this congregation, it was in the middle of Leah's affliction when Judah was born because affliction is not the burial place of praise. Affliction is the birthplace of praise. Can I tell somebody Judah was born in the midst of her adversity. Judah was born in the midst of Leah's trials. Can I tell you that adversity isn't where praise goes to die. Adversity is where praise goes to be born. And I'm telling this congregation that Judah, the first mention of praise in your Bible, wasn't born in perfect circumstances. It wasn't born in ideal situations. Praise was born in the midst of trouble. Praise was born in the midst of opposition. Because if you are a praiser, opposition doesn't kill your praise. It gives birth to your praise. And it's in those moments when life is unfair. It's in those moments when the enemy attacks. You ought to serve notice on that line coming against you that your adversity isn't about to kill my praise. It's about to give birth to my praise. Because in the midst of adversity, that's where praise came forth. Don't wait until everything's perfect to come and give God praise come with the revelation that this is the perfect time when all hell is breaking loose, when I got a bad diagnosis, when my family's going crazy, when people have walked away and backslid. It's in those moments Judah's got to be birthed. It's in those moments when praise has to come forth. Can I tell somebody, you may have a lion coming against you, but there's a lion inside of you that's greater than everything that opposes you. Don't you ever forget that very simple principle. The line in you will always be greater than the line against you. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a line inside of us all. 
And I feel like that line needs to come out from time to time. Maybe that's why Psalm 34 and 1 tells us, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's why Psalm 40 and 3 says, He hath put a new song in my mouth. Psalm 109 and 30 says, I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Is there anybody in this room on a Tuesday night who may be going through trials, who may be going through situations, but how many are in this room that says, I've got a praise in my mouth. I'm not talking about praise on a keyboard. I'm not talking about praise on a guitar. I'm not talking about praise on a drum. Is there anybody in this house who's got a praise in your mouth? But you you shouldn't just give God praise with your mouth. That's why Psalm 47 and 1 says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Can I tell somebody I shouldn't just have a praise in my mouth? I ought to have a praise in my hands. But you shouldn't just come to church with a praise in your mouth and a praise in your hands, but there ought to be a praise in your legs. That's why Luke 6 and 23 says uh, that we ought to leap for joy. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I don't leap because I've got joy. Uh, I leap because I need joy. Uh, I leap for the joy. Uh, Can I tell somebody, uh, you ought to come to God's house uh, with a praise in your mouth, uh, a praise in your hands, uh, and a praise in your legs. Anybody in the house need some joy? Anybody in the house need to be encouraged? You ought to give God a praise with your legs. That's how you get the joy. I shouldn't just have praise in my mouth. And I shouldn't just have praise in my hands. And I shouldn't just have praise in my legs. But I ought ought to have praise in my feet. Psalm 149 and 3 says, let them praise his name in a dance. Can I tell you, dancing isn't for the club. It's not for the concert. In fact, they stole it from the church. Can I tell this congregation, when I come into God's house and I'm going through trials, I ought to have a praise in my mouth, a praise in my hands, a praise in my leg, a praise in my feet. There ought not to be a part of my body that doesn't give God praise. There should be a praise from the top of my head to the sole of my feet because it's in the midst of trouble when it's got to come out. There's a line inside of you, ladies and gentlemen, and he'll always be greater than the line against you. See, the characteristic of a lion, let me wrap this up. The characteristic of a lion is that they are the strongest among beasts. And they do not back down from anything. The number one characteristic of a lion is they roar. Why do lions roar? Now, buckle up because this is going to be real deep. Lions roar. Because they're lions. Boy, they were expecting something. See, lions don't bark because they're not dogs. Now, you're laughing now, but I'm going to make it make sense in a minute. Lions don't oink because they're not pigs. They roar 
Because it's what they do. People always wonder, why do you apostolics act the way you do? Why do you apostolics worship the way you do? Why do y'all come to church and give God praise in a frenzy? Why do y'all sometimes run the aisle? Why do y'all sometimes roll on the floor? We used to do that back in the day. I know we've got too dignified, but there's sometimes I've seen people roll on the floor. Why do you people shout? Why do you people jump? I've got a simple answer for you. It's just who we are. It's just what we do. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got the line of the tribe of Judah inside of us. And when we get in God's house, there's something inside of me that's got to give him praise. Your praise, ladies and gentlemen, is a lion. See, the Bible refers to us as a lot of different animals in the Bible. It calls us lambs that are led by the shepherd. There's one place where you're told to be harmless, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. But ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that lambs and sheep and doves are not very aggressive. But when it comes to your praise, your praise is not a lamb. When it comes to your praise, your praise is not a dove. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that when you're in the middle of a mess, when you need God to move for your family, when you need God to move for your church and your finances and your health, it's not time for passive praise. It's not time for non-aggressive praise. It's time for lion-like praise. Can I tell this congregation, your praise is not a lamb. Your praise is a lion. And I've got to come in God's house and give God aggressive praise because that's what I've got to do. Lions roar because it's what they do. They also roar to declare territorial rights. When a lion begins to roar in the jungle, every animal within ear's distance knows what that lion is saying. This is my territory. And if you want this territory, you've got to come through me to get this territory. I wonder if this church is ready to let the devil know. I don't even think I've got to preach that point. Is there anybody at Breaking Bread ready to let the devil know? Is there anybody ready to serve notice on the enemy that this territory does not belong to him? This region does not belong to him. This city's not his. The schools are not his. Our families are not his. Our marriages are not his. Can somebody help me right now? Anybody ready to get militant in the Holy Ghost and say, I'm drawing a line in the sand. And if you want this, you've got to come through my line to get it. God, have mercy. I feel my whole help in this house right now. I wonder if I've got some mamas and some daddies that say, you can't have my kids. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my home. This does not belong to him. Oh, somebody ought to give God praise right now. And while you're giving God praise, you ought to serve notice on hell. This is going to be our greatest year. This is going to be our greatest moment. This is going to be our greatest time of revival because this doesn't belong.
to him. And here we are, and I'm done. Lions roar because it's what they do. They roar to declare territorial rights. And here we are. Lions roar when they have taken the prey. Amos 3 and 4 asked the question, will a lion roar in the forest when he has taken no prey? Now we understand the obvious answer is no because lions do not roar unless they take prey. Lions roar, ladies and gentlemen, when they have conquered something trying to conquer them. I love the way Genesis 49 says it. When prey starts out, he's a baby. Judah is a lion's whelp. Judah's a cub. But he doesn't stay small long. Because then he becomes a lion. And then he becomes an old lion. Not old in age, but old in maturity. How do you get from a cub to a mature lion? How does your praise go from being small to being real big? Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that in order for a lion to grow, in order for your praise to grow, the lion has to eat. (laughs) Sometimes you've got to come to church and let your lion eat. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that there is a lion called the devil who's trying to devour us, who's trying to destroy us. But every now and again, you've got to come in God's house and you've got to turn the table on the devil. And you've got to say the hunted is about to become the hunter. Everything that's coming against me, my lion is about to reach out and grab it. I'm done. I'm done because the Holy Ghost is ready to move.